This episode of Test Design Discs is sponsored by Provar. As the leading end-to-end test automation solution for Salesforce, Provar helps enterprises maximize the return on their Salesforce investment. Deliver robust, scalable, and repeatable tests to accelerate releases, improve quality, and drive down system errors with Provar's intuitive testing solution and world-class service. To learn more, visit provartesting.com. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Testers Island Discs. The first episode being recorded from my new podcast shack that I mentioned on the last episode with Lee Hawkins. Today, we're joined, hopefully in this nice echo-free room, by Simon Tomes. Simon has been a tester for over 18 years now, and in his time, he's turned his hand to such roles as a scrum master, agile coach, and delivery manager. He's also tried his hand at software development. He's the co-founder of TestBuddy, a cloud-based tool for exploratory testing, note-taking, and reporting. He's releasing regular videos on YouTube, having conversations with testers about exploratory testing. And recently, he's been blogging about his journey towards becoming a community manager, which has evolved somewhat in the last few weeks, as he's recently been named the Ministry of Testing's new community boss. Hello, welcome. Congratulations, Simon. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, very much appreciate that introduction. Um, it's incredible to be here. Like, there's a there's island tests. Like, there's just so many good people who have been on this podcast. So, so to get the chance to come on here and share some songs that are important to me and and have a good old chit chat with you, Neil, is a pleasure because you're amazing at what you do. And um, yeah, I can learn a lot from this experience. So, so thanks for having <laughs> me. I, I don't take praise well, but 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 thank you very much. Uh, this this episode is going to form kind of a, a continuation of our last last episode where we were talking to Lee Hawkins about exploratory testing, and Lee obviously was on your video series recently on YouTube. What was the idea behind starting that series? Yeah, so yeah, had a had a lovely chat with Lee, and yeah, he, he has um, he has so much good stuff to share. Um, and I guess yeah, the series was uh, I'll be honest with you, it was a bit of an experiment. It was. Um, I think I put out a post on LinkedIn and a, and a tweet that kind of said, I'm thinking about doing these video chats on exploratory testing. Let me know if you're interested. And and that led to um, quite a number of people coming back to me saying, yeah, I'm up for that. And a bit of back and forth with those individuals and like, you know, what topic of exploratory testing is important to you? And what would you like to share? And then, and then that's how it came about and, and kind of, uh, put together a schedule, uh, set up these video calls with with some incredible folks, and you know, just kind of they ended up, um, I think, becoming like really great conversations. Like I think there's um, we have five videos so far, um, and and hopefully there'll be more coming. But there's nothing planned at this stage. But of those five videos, there's so much good stuff. Like the the people, the the folks that have been on them have shared just incredible knowledge, and and it, it was a real kind of real privilege to to chat with those people i think the particularly interesting thing for me is uh you you've made an effort to seek out some some new voices that don't necessarily always take the stage i saw you tweet a while ago that the importance of having more than just the usual faces out there yeah absolutely and um which is kind of like i guess i reflect on myself as someone who's been 
kind of talking about exploratory testing for some time now. And I'm, I'm very aware that I kind of might be sharing the same things over and over again. And, and I, I really, I really want to encourage folks who, um, who might not have like the platform or the confidence to share what it is they're doing when it comes to exploratory testing. And I, and I believe everyone has something to share no matter where they are in their career. Um, so the, the, you know, the, the opportunity to encourage folks to step forward and, and be a little bit brave and put themselves out there. And I, you know, I'd love to chat with those individuals and on a conversation and, and just, just talk about uh, people's experiences. Like everyone has different experiences and different interpretations of the world of exploratory testing. And I think it's important for, uh, for the community to hear that, uh, because that, you know, there, there are, you know, I guess, um, folks out there who continue to share and, and what they share is great. Um, I, I think it's time for, for more, more folks to, to talk about exploratory testing. Yeah, something I'm very aware of here as well. I mean, as we approach fast approach episode 50 now of the podcast, people don't tune into this to hear me. My job here is mostly to get out of the way and let the uh, the guests have have a good old matter each week. So uh, that's that's what I'll try and do now. Um, yeah. We're going to talk more on this podcast about exploratory testing. We'll talk a bit more about Test Buddy and your new role with the Ministry of Testing. Um, I mentioned your Twitter account actually, as um, you spend a lot of time talking on there about exploratory testing and about community building. The, the next thing after that is certainly music. There's quite often um, music-related tweets, either songs you've created yourself or you're following <laughs> along with listening parties online, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I kind of, I think maybe it was uh, maybe during the middle of last year or towards the end of last year, I kind of decided to just kind of put more of myself out there online on Twitter um, I've tended to in the past just to kind of keep it on stuff that uh, I'm super passionate about, like things like software testing and in particular exploratory testing. And then as I've got into community, like, of course, I'm going to start um, talking about community and stuff that I'm learning about community. But I thought actually, you know, a big part of my life uh, for my whole life has been music. So uh, I've been a a musician since uh, I I think I was about 10 when I first got behind a drum kit. Um, and, and music has been a huge part of my life and, and still continues to be. Um, so I thought, why not just sort of start, start putting stuff out there on Twitter about, you know, my, my thoughts on some songs and music and, um, and, and the, the listening party. So Tim's Twitter listening party has been an amazing way for me to engage with a community of people that I've never met before. And you listen to an album at the same time as everyone else. And you, you share your thoughts and the artists will actually share, um, the process they went through when they were recording, they might share some like rare, rare snip, um, snippets of information about how they recorded the album or some photos. And it's a, it's a really cool community uh, when you kind of gather around an album. And I was kind of really inspired by that. Yeah, the website for uh, Tim's Listening Party, Tim being Tim Burgess of the Charlatans, um, it's, it's a really great site because you can go back and listen to these um, basically these, these Twitter streams again in real time. So for any album they've had in the past, you can go onto the website, you can hit play, hit play on the album at the same time, and you get that real-time feed of, the, of those tweets coming through again. And they've, they've done some really niche albums, some stuff that I didn't think people were interested in at all. And I'm delighted to find that, yes, yeah, some of my favorite albums of all time have a, a listening party associated with them. Um, so I'll put a link to that in the, uh, the show notes. But there are plenty of other opportunities to talk about music today because, Simon, you've been allowed to bring five songs with you to the Tessa's Desert Island, which best represent what music means to you. What's the first song and what's the reason behind it? 
So this is a song by a band called Genesis. Um, it's a song called Behind the Lines. So uh, Genesis have been a big part of my life. So my dad kind of obsessed with them. We had all the tapes uh, lying around our house um, growing up. And this song is from an album called Duke, uh, which is my favorite Genesis album. And it, it, uh, in my home life, it would come on every so often. And, and the album itself it had this really cool front cover, um, which I was really kind of intrigued by. It's like this strange looking cartoon person looking through a window. Um, and the, the album opener is called Behind the Lines, this track. And it just blasts you in the face. Like it just kind of takes you on this journey. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm a drummer and the drum track is just, it's one of the best drum tracks, in my opinion, that you're ever going to hear if, if you have an obsession with drumming like myself. So, and, and Phil Collins is, you know, the best drummer, like one of the best drummers ever. Um, I think also this song, it, there's something about, um, I, I'm also attracted to songs that have like really good synth parts. And, and this song has that. It has um, this kind of good synth sound throughout. Um, and you have like really complex uh, guitar lines. And, and it's, it's just so clever the way it, it's all fast paced and it's just blows, blows you in the face. But then halfway through, it cuts into this, um, just this completely different groove. And, and Phil does this amazing thing with the hi-hats and his, his groove at that point is just mind blowing. Um, and, and, you know, Phil, Phil's vocals are, are classic Phil. Um, and, you know, it's very fond memories of my childhood. We, we drive around in my dad's uh, Ford Granada. Uh, so my dad, um, he owned a funeral business. So he had this nice, black car that we would drive around in um and it just has memories of of that tape playing non-stop and in particularly this song we just play it all the time um so yeah it's it's a special song for me it kind of connects me to my my dad and my, the rest of my family um and an interesting fact for for the genesis and phil collins uh, fans out there um phil covered this very song on his debut solo album face value which was released a year later uh, which is really interesting. And it's a completely different version. And he completely rehashed the song to this sort of funkier version. So that's also worth checking out. was the sound of Genesis with Behind the Lines. Now, in our last episode with Lee Hawkins, we were talking about an overview of exploratory testing. And having you here, Simon, I'd really like to take a deep dive into some specific areas of exploratory testing, um, one of which is the idea of time boxing. So if you're running an exploratory testing session or a charter, you tend to try and put a time box onto those. What's the importance of having a, a time box on it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm I'm a big fan of time boxing. I think it's a, a very useful tool to uh, set a constraint to allow you to focus. And, and I think combining a time box with a good exploratory testing goal or charter, it, those two things allow you to 
focus on what really matters. And I feel, or I've certainly experienced that time boxing helps me capture just a good enough amount of information. Um, so I, I tend to take long form notes and uh, I could get carried away. Like if I didn't time box, I'd just go on forever and not know when to stop. So um, so say, for example, I would time box a session, I don't know, anywhere from say 30 minutes to 60 minutes. And as I'm writing my notes, um, I'm not kind of worried about the time. I'm more like, I know I've got uh, a certain amount of time to explore this goal. And at some point I'm going to be told by my timer to stop. And and at, at that point, I'm like, ah, oh, that's cool. Because you know what? I look back and I've captured a lot of information and it, it, when I when it comes to sharing with other people what it is I've discovered, I think it um, would probably overwhelm the audience and say, "Hey, look, you know, imagine it was like a three-hour session. Look at all this stuff I discovered. Like it would be pretty, pretty much, like way too much for someone to consume or, or to at least have a conversation about." So, so I, I find time boxing a great tool to to allow me to sort of respect my own time and respect the time of an audience, the, the people that I'm going to share what it is I've discovered with. Um, I, I also find with time boxing that you, the kind of the sooner that you find out if the output or, or outcomes of whatever you captured is useful, the better. Like I think in terms of exploratory testing and, and running time box sessions is like fast feedback loops you're trying to gather useful information, share that with whoever you need to. It might be a developer, business analyst, designer, stakeholder, or, or a group of those people. Um, then you're getting feedback like, ah, we found that problem. Um, do we need to do something about it? Or this information that I discovered, like I've got some questions around this. What, you know, what does that mean when it comes to things about risk? And, and in doing so, the sooner you get to that stage, the sooner you can then work out, well, what do we run next? Like what charter should we, should we, put together next we've already got five charters here are they still relevant you know it may be that after 45 minutes those charters that you thought were relevant are no longer relevant and and it's much better that you find out about that sooner rather than later if you weren't time boxing yeah i had a really good experience today actually with with very short time boxes where um i was about 10 minutes into a time box and realized that we didn't actually understand what it was we were testing. So we actually, we effectively, our second time box became, let's go look at the code and see what the code is doing because it's not the thing we think it's doing. And yeah, better to get to that stage very quickly rather than go through a day of testing, discover it was wasted or that yeah you're delivering information that isn't related to the current situation. So um, yeah, I discovered time boxes um, for, for both development and testing not long after I discovered the Pomodoro technique. I've been using that a lot in my, ah, in my yeah. personal life and the whole idea of, yeah, you're going to have, 20 or 25 minutes of focus and then after that time you're going to take a, a period of break either to you know literally stretch your legs or just just refresh your mind on what's coming next um and both with pomodoro and time boxes i really feel the benefit of it um or i notice the benefit of it when it goes wrong <laughs> and working from home at the moment that is always very early in the morning sort of 9 10 a.m when there's just a stream of postmen and amazon delivery drivers that just break my concentration cycle and i have this this morning of the, of the day where i will not get deep into testing anything because i know it's going to be interrupted and i know it's going to be unsatisfactory and actually uh, yeah I, I want to when i'm in a time box i want to be in there and in, in the zone yeah absolutely and and i tend to um i tend to put on like do not disturb and try and turn off any any other notifications that would interrupt me unless there's something completely urgent that you need to deal with then fair enough but but that kind of you, you're giving 
you know, you're giving yourself permission to give enough attention to what it is you're exploring. And I think when we don't give certain attention to something, it's kind of a bit of a disservice, you know, speaking bluntly. Um, I feel one of the challenges with time boxing is going over and, and then kind of, uh, getting lost and then go, Oh no, but the time has stopped and now I'm 50 minutes over. And I guess is kind of knowing that you can always just run another session and, and if you discover stuff that's kind of not related to the goal, it's okay to mark it in a way that you could say it's off charter or this is unrelated to the goal. I'll come back to it at another time, or I'll bring it up with my team and say, Hey, I discovered this thing. It's not related to this charter, but is it important? Is it important for, for us to say, Oh, there's a risk there that we're perhaps we don't have enough information on. So let's go and create another charter. Um, but again, you know, time boxing uh, allows you to kind of capture stuff off charter and not go down the rabbit hole because you know you're on a time box. Uh, I find it so powerful. Time boxing for me was a, such a big turning point in my career as an exploratory tester. Yeah. Um, this is coming out at the end of May. So I think this is safe to share for the first time in public that i have uh, i've recently accepted a, a new job um i will be telling people in a little while who that's with and uh, more publicly uh, but the process of, of doing that involved doing some interviewing and there were some technical tests and some exercises um which i effectively treated as a time box so there was a one of the exercises i did for a role was basically spend an hour trying to explore this application um and within that i recorded some notes and uh, I didn't finish testing that application to my own satisfaction, but I did say, well, I treated this as a, a true one hour time box. And A, anyone who says they've completely tested this within this one hour is is lying to you because this is a large application. But what I can tell you from this one hour is here's what I found. Here's the stuff I didn't even get time to touch. Uh, I can extrapolate from there that it, it, were you to want a more complete report, I would need X more hours um, would, would get me a lot closer to that. And yeah, it's just, just by, it's breaking down things that are very hard to measure into measurable chunks or, or stuff that helps you measure it somewhat better. That's amazing. And that's, that's so cool that you're able to do that. Yeah. And actually the company that was for is, is not the company whose, whose role I ended up taking. And uh, they, they haven't said that they will go away and rewrite their tests because they, yeah, they were overly ambitious of what they wanted people to do within an hour. There was a, an automation exercise in there as well that you just, just, you could not even build the page object model that you oh. wanted to do within that hour. Oh, but, wow. uh, yeah. <laughs> but we will talk more about exploratory testing in the next section. Um, next up though, is your second song choice. Great. Um, so this, um, this is a song by Prince. Uh, it's called computer blue. It's off the album purple rain. Um, so Prince, I would say is funnily enough, the first artist I ever properly got into. And that's, uh, I kind of reflect that it's kind of strange. You know, I was probably six years old and I was this white kid from Bournemouth in, in Southern England in the United Kingdom. Um, I have two older brothers and, and whatever they used to listen to, I would listen to. And and they were listening to Prince. So obviously I became obsessed with Prince. It literally was the artist that I just listened to. There was no one else other than, you know, my dad's Genesis tapes, which we talked about earlier. Um, and the album Purple Rain was the first ever CD uh, I owned. And I remember getting it on Boxing Day. Uh, I can't remember the year, but again, I was very young. Um, and and it's very hard to pick a Prince track because he is one of the greatest musicians who has ever graced this planet. Um, you know, literally you could go back 
to any of his songs from 1979 to 1992, in my opinion. Uh, maybe exclude the Batman album. Um, <laughs> you can't, don't knock the bat dance. <laughs> <laughs> Fun, funnily enough, um, I introduced that to my daughter the other day and she <laughs> loved it. I was like, no. But anyway, she she loved it and that's cool. Um, but I, I, I kind of, I think Prince is one of those artists that's just, you know, he was superhuman. Like so many so many talents when it came to writing music, to producing music, to, to performing, you know, playing all his instruments. Um, and, you know, he's, he's so good at everything. You're like, well, what, what do you pick now? You know, I think probably Jimi Hendrix is, is I would consider the, the best guitarist to, to ever exist. And, and I would say Prince is second. Um, you know, if you want to check out a great guitar solo of Prince's, he, he does a good, uh, an incredible solo on While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which was, you know, a brilliant tribute to George Harrison. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Back to the track Computer Blue. Now, this song is amazing because it's all about exploration. It really is. It takes you on this journey. It sounds like Prince has kind of, he's come come back from the future. Like he's this person from <laughs> like some place that doesn't exist and he's coming back to us mere mortals to say you know what i'm just going to blow your mind away and this song's amazing because it kind of half of it um sounds very familiar and then there's this break halfway through and you know there's lots of lush synths his guitar solo is mesmerizing uh, the tone of the guitar is just mind-blowing and he uses this like call and response and harmonizing technique with the keyboard part and and the way he does it is just magic. Like I've never heard anything else like it. Um, and then and then you kind of there's this serious sort of part to the song, and then it turns into this light kind of hopeful section where you think, oh yeah, this is going to resolve, and the song comes to an end. But it doesn't, and it really surprises you, much like you can be surprised with exploratory testing. It throws you back into this like heavy section, and then it just cuts in with Prince screams his head off, and then it's over. And like, you kind of, you get to the end of the song and you're just like, wow, it's just blown my mind because there's so much exploration. There's so much subtle production techniques that he uses on that song that it really is an incredible journey. Um, and there's, I, I, I haven't found a song that exists in the world that sounds like it. it is so utterly unique. It is a magic track. massively increasing the complexity level of our Spotify playlist. That's Prince with Computer Blue. Now, continuing our chat about exploratory testing, you mentioned the importance that uh, you put on note-taking for your own benefit. One of the challenges for me with note-taking is that you can never hope to like 100% capture exactly what it is that you're doing within a session, uh, not in such a way that you could 100% guarantee repeating it. Uh, And that if you spent too much time note-taking, you know, that that's eating into your session time. How do you pick the level at which you're going to start recording things. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I openly share that I think uh, note-taking is, is difficult and it is a skill that you can develop and it takes time and it 
it takes practice and it's taken me a long time i would say to to hone my skill as a note taker um so so yeah i feel if you want to get into it i would say stick at it and 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 keep trying and keep practicing different styles of of note taking one one thing i found useful is is I, I take long form. So I will try and write down what it is I'm thinking and what it is I'm discovering. And I, and I sometimes try and think in terms of, um, I'm like a, a news reporter and I've, and I'm trying to take notes on a scene of a breaking news story. So I'm sort of imagining that it's not visual and I'm having to try and describe what is happening and also what I'm reflecting on of the thing that I'm observing. And I found that as a, a useful way to, to, to kind of gain some confidence when it comes to note-taking. Um, and it, yeah, it, it does take time and it, it does take practice. It's funny because I tend to work in kind of the opposite way. I, I tend to make my notes um, as brief as possible such that I could then make them longer for people if they needed to read them later. So like I, I will capture the, the, the key sort of salient points of what I'm doing, be it you know, key pieces of data um, very, very briefly so that if I then needed to pass that information to someone, I could rewrite it into a more long haul form way, which again, weirdly is kind of, kind of journalistic. And that, you know, you have in journalism, you have shorthand and then you will transcribe it up to, to words that the, that the lay people can read. Uh, so it's weird. We, we, we both have a journalistic background to that. Um, when you're making notes, um, are there any kind of tips that you could give to people of like, um, like the, the form at which you capture notes in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so something I've I've found useful is the technique of labeling your notes. So what I mean by this is certain types of notes are sharing certain information. So I use a technique uh, which I refer, refer to as PQIP. So that stands for problems, questions, ideas, and praise. So imagine that you discover a bug um, and you want to make a note about it and you kind of describe you know how you discovered the bug maybe if you're you know using some technology that you can capture a video you know of you discovering that bug then cool or a screenshot or whatever but however you've captured that bug and you documented it um if you label it as like problem it's a simple way for you to quickly scan your notes and go, ah, these are the problems I discovered uh, uh, during this test session. And likewise for say questions, stuff that you feel you can't answer right now during your session. It's stuff that you want to go and ask whoever it is you debrief with or share with after you've had your testing session. You can just label them with question. Also, I think as testing professionals, um, and I, I really encourage this, that we, we have an opportunity to share our ideas and our reflections of the thing that we're exploring. Um, so label those ideas, like call them out, say, yes, I discovered this thing. And also subjectively, here is my idea of, you know, my reflection of this thing. Perhaps we could try this. What do you think? And finally, the, the other label I recommend is the praise label or the compliment. Um, I, I, I think sometimes, uh, us testers get a bit of a reputation that we're there just to like pick out problems or nitpick or tell someone, oh, you've broken it or this isn't good enough. And and I, you know, while we may discover problems and things that, we, you know, we are exploring risks and things that may threaten value, I think it's equally important to call out the good stuff. To If you discover something, it's like, that's really cool. Like your error handling on that is super clear or it's really 
um, great how you've implemented this particular part of the feature. You've thought you've thought through lots of different scenarios here, and I've been able to prove that you've considered those. I, I, you know, particularly right now, we need to lift each other up. So, so sharing some praise and labeling your notes accordingly to say this is good stuff um, can make all the difference. Uh, I remember once when I um, shared a session with the developer and it had a load of smiley faces all over the, all over my notes. And they were like, what's that? Like, why are you drawing all smiley faces? I'm, I'm like, this is all the good stuff I found. Like, I'm, you know, they could just visually see it on my notes and they were like, oh, that's cool. And they, oh, they found it a little bit weird to start off with because they'd never experienced someone sharing a whole ton of praise. But uh, off the back of that, they were like, oh, this is great. And they, you know, they felt really good about what they'd done because of all of this good stuff. And it, and it wasn't to say I hadn't found some problems or I, you know, had some extra questions to ask them. It was just, uh, I felt the desire to just big up what this person had done. And it, and it did make a difference. Our relationship changed and, you know, we, we got to collaborate um, in some good ways off the, off, you know, after that experience. Yeah, that praise idea is, is a really good one. It's, it's really easy to uh, to get wrapped up in the finding the problems. Uh, so to actually codify it and say, no, actually, what, what do we want to call out as, as things that, that we really like here? And ideas as well, particularly because if it's something you're looking at for the first time, you can never replicate your experience of looking at something for the first time. Every time that you look at that in the future is going to be informed by the times you looked at it before. So if you are trying to say, you know, do some usability testing and say, actually, this is me coming to this feature as a new user. What am I thinking about this? The first time through that is the, is the first time that you can actually um, say that. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned how you may sometimes share your notes with a developer. Um, how do you tend to present those notes to them? Do you literally say, here's a, a Word document or a notepad document, go go figure? Or, or do, you, do you take them on a, a walkthrough of your notes? Yeah, I think it depends on the audience and the kind of the way you set up that relationship with how you're going to share. So I can think of a couple of examples where in one case, I would share my notes asynchronously and say, hey, here's my test reports, Um, you know, read them verbatim. I've given you a summary at the start of things that I've called out in my notes that I think are important. Please have a read of them and let me know when you like to discuss. And and that method can work with, with certain individuals. Another approach is, you know, to try and do it live in real time. And, you know, back in the days when we could meet in person, very easy to sit next to each other and in the office. Um, and, and now it's a case of, you know, do that over a video call um, and, and step people through your notes. But I feel, I feel understanding your audience is super important. You know, it may be that at the start of your session, sorry, start of your debrief where you're talking to your audience, you're, you're asked the question, you know, I found all sorts of things. Um, what would you like me to share first? Is it all the bugs I found? Or is it, do you want to hear my ideas? Or can I tell you about the good stuff I found? And kind of inviting your audience to 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 guide you and give you a bit of an indication of what's on their mind. Um, you know, it, and their context may be, may be different. And maybe one day you could be chatting with an engineer and they're like, look, I'm really busy. Just tell me the showstopper bugs. That's all I care about. You know, like, okay, cool totally respect that and you just tell them the showstopper bugs maybe another time an engineer's like look i've got a bit of time you know how about we explore some of the, those ideas together you know i really want to hear them so i think understanding your audience understanding their context and what is important to them is a good starting point um and you know you, you won't always get it right like i can think of multiple times where i tried to debrief and it's just not resonated it's just not landed and you're kind of like oh 
<laughs> you think, well, that was a waste of time. But I, you know, I didn't, the kind of persistent uh, trying again, trying to find a moment when it works for the person that you're sharing that information with. It takes time and, and over time, um, it, it, it will land if you're trying different approaches and techniques that then resonate with your audience. So I, I would say don't give up and, and keep trying. Um, keep trying different approaches that and find what works for your audience and, and every individual has their preferred method. Um, that's not to say that you need to tailor everything. I think sometimes a recipient um, may not know of a certain approach. They may not be familiar with exploratory testing. So you may have to say, hey, you know, give me five minutes. I'd love to introduce you to this concept and here's the outcome of it. And um, if you can give me five minutes of your time, I'd love to share it with you and have to do a little bit of convincing. Um, so, so kind of um, not holding back from saying, okay, I'm not going to share now. It's like trying to, trying to have a little bit of confidence to, to, to go for it and encourage the recipient to, to be open to trying something new, particularly if they're not familiar with this style of debriefing. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us that something in testing is context specific <laughs> and uh, yeah, debriefing yeah. Is, is one of those things. And yeah, it, it's all about whatever gets you the engagement with that particular individual or group of people. Um, I've been guilty in the past of delivering exquisitely written reports, particularly bug reports that are maybe like 500 words and get to the exact core of what a problem is, but no one sits there and reads them and therefore they're completely ineffective because even though I've captured everything, people open it and go too much to read there doesn't sound important yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I've, I've 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 learned the hard way on, on that certainly um but we'll go on in the next section to talk about things that help you learn the good way we're, go we're going to talk a bit about test buddy in the next section uh, but before we do that we're at the halfway point of your songs your third song choice simon great thanks so this song is called two months off and it's by a band called underworld so i find the band underworld really interesting so i kind of I got into like house and electronic music a little bit later than I imagine I would. So kind of growing up, I mostly played in rock bands and I was like well into my rock music and my indie music. Um, so it was kind of taboo to ever talk about electronic music where no instruments were being played or no real drummer. It was all processed. Um, yeah, kind of, I, I think uh, in my, my younger years, I, I was, probably like a bit of a closet raver so so i go to nightclubs uh, and i grew up in in a town called bournemouth and in, in the south of england in the uk um and i i'd just go there and you know it was quite a uh you know you you'd, it was a drinking culture and you go out and party but i was like i would just go dancing so the music would kick in and, and i just get on the dance floor and and why this is relevant to this song is I remember hearing the song Born Slippy also by the band Underworld and I just lost my mind to it. I was like, this is just, song is incredible. Uh, it's a song that was made famous by the film Trainspotting. Um, but this particular track, Two Months Off, I remember uh, the video on MTV and it was the, the, the singer or the kind of, uh, yeah, the singer and producer, Carl. He, he's on the video and all he's doing is just dancing. He's dancing in the rain. He's just going crazy. He's letting loose. And I was like, wow, that kind of reminds me of just losing myself to dance music during my clubbing days. Um, and, and it would just, it's just such a powerful song. There's again, lots of lush synths, um, which is a common theme in all of these tracks. Um, and while, while the drums are electronic, they are so well structured and they have this 
this level of groove that sounds like they're being played by a live drummer, even though they're not, they're absolutely mechanical as, as far as I'm aware. But that's what fascinated me about the song. Like, how do they create this beat that sounds like a real drummer, but it's clearly ele- electronic? Um, and there's like, it's a very poetic song. It's a long song and there's this break in the middle, this female vocals kick in. And there's there's subtle parts about this track that sort of uh, jump out at you in, in different ways. So there's like a, um, there's like a real interesting synth line before it starts building up on this female vocal part and it's not used anywhere else it's like literally just this very short section with this very cinematic synth part um and it, it's just really cool because it's, it's not used anywhere else and that's what i love about the tracks that i'm sharing today they are about exploration they are about doing things that aren't that common and discovering things that are interesting you know i can imagine they had intent when they create the tracks to like let's see what's possible and then they kind of probably surprise themselves when they found things within the songs that they'd gone, wow, we've done that. And that's really cool. Um, and I saw, I, I had, I was lucky enough to see Underworld at Brixton Academy, maybe about 12 or so years ago. And, and I would say it's the best gig I've ever, ever been to. Like I just danced the whole night away, you know, no drugs or alcohol. It was just like losing myself to like this incredible music. Um, and there's like, yeah, there's there's so many good parts to this track, and it even has a cowbell. And <laughs> who doesn't love a cowbell? That was Underworld with two months off. Now, Simon, before we get on to talk about your new role, uh, let's talk a bit about what else you've been up to recently. Um, I wanted to talk about Test Buddy. Now, just to make it clear, Test Buddy is not a sponsor of the podcast. No one has asked me to talk about them. I'm talking about it purely as a tool that I have used for myself and as something that I've been watching grow online. And I'm I'm really curious about um, it and where it's come from. So, Simon, can you explain to me, um, for those who don't know, what Test Buddy is and um, where it came from? Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks for calling that out. I can it often feels a little bit strange talking about Test Buddy like not not being a sponsor, but it is a tool and you know, people can pay for it and stuff. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um so Test Buddy is a tool to help exploratory testers and particularly those that capture notes and want to create very simple test reports to share with people in their teams. And it actually, it started as another product. Um, <laughs> so before it was Test Buddy, it was called Keek, which stands for Quality Geek. Um, I was never sure if it was Keek or yeah. <laughs> so and it, and it's one of those words. So Q E E K that uh, we found that no one can pronounce. So we kind of thought maybe that or Queek or whatever. We've had all sorts. So, but it does stand for Quality Geek. Um, and it, you know, I, it's kind of, it, it's developed from this concept of Keek. So I, you know, I, I build Test Buddy with my, you know, my amazing business partner and friend, Rajit Singh. Um, Keek started, it was like a, tried to be like a friendly test management tool. It didn't try to do too much. It tried to make it easy to manage your test cases. Um, but the more we kind of developed that and the more it got used, we realized that there was something 
around note-taking support that was missing. You know, I think throughout my whole career, I tried all sorts of different note-taking techniques from mind maps to using Jira to using kind of digital notepads to physical notepads. And, and it just, this product just didn't exist. So, so Rajat and I were like, well, let's see if it's possible to create something that would support people who take notes. Um, so we, um, yeah, we, I guess we started with, uh, some wireframes and some flowcharts and kind of just sketches that, that we put out to the community and we got amazing feedback. Like we had a lot of people give us thoughts and ideas about this potential thing and how it may help them. So, you know, another great thing about the world of community is that if you have an idea, you can put it in front of people and, and if they're open to sharing some of their time, they can give you some feedback. So those early days of test buddy, you know, were amazing that we were able to do that. And that kind of gave us the confidence to go, you know what, we might be onto something here. Let's uh, do something about that. So we, <laughs> we built a way, a website and, um, saying this product exists, even though the product didn't exist. Uh, we put like a sign up button and we, we put some money towards some Google ads and, and we got some really good kind of conversion rates where people would sign up and, and it was like above the average is industry average at the time. Um, you know, obviously we had to apologize and say, we're so sorry, this product doesn't exist, but thank you for your interest. This is really helpful. And, and then it, you know, started relationships with people there. Um, and then it developed from that. And then we were like, okay, well, let's start off. Let's build a prototype, get this prototype in front of people. And it's just, just gone from there, really. We've turned it into a, a product that now exists. People can subscribe to it. We have paying customers. Um, you know, it's not a case that we can go full time on this yet. You know, this isn't, uh, this isn't about quitting my day job yet. Um, you know, one day we might seek investment to grow the business and we, you know, we need to hit certain milestones to start having those conversations, but, uh, you know, purely from the business side of things, but the opportunity to build something from scratch that genuinely helps the testing community, honestly, it's mind blowing. And every day I'm like, if I see a new person sign up, I'm like, that is crazy. Like honestly is, is just, it, it genuinely blows my mind every time that someone is willing to try something out that we built from scratch. And then when someone starts paying for the product, I'm like, wow, they've got confidence in this. It's genuinely helped with them. And our customers are amazing. Like the, the feedback we get is like, yeah, this is just part of our daily process. Now we use test buddy all the time. And like, <laughs> it genuinely blows my mind when we get that feedback. There's no way we could attempt to do an entire like product management podcast here <laughs> with everything else that's going on. But one of the things that interests me here is some of the best tools that I use, and I do group TestBuddy into this, is a tool that does one thing really well. As your number of users increases and as the, the, the voices around that increases, how do you choose what you build next and making sure that it keeps with the vision of what you're trying to do? Yeah, that's that's incredibly tough, and and thank you for grouping uh, Test Buddy into your your tools that do something one thing very well. That's that's very kind, um, and and really that is our ethos. We we we're very familiar with tools that try to do a lot of stuff. Like you know, we've grown up using Jira throughout our careers, and and it's useful in context, but not in others, and all that stuff. So so we're a- absolutely aware of that, and we'll try our very best to stick to not trying to solve too many problems. It's like solve a problem well, um, and it and it's hard. You know, you get feedback from from different customers that have different needs, and uh, they kind of pull you in different directions. And I feel you know, it is a, is a, a balance of our vision as a business and as a product where we feel we could take it and how it can help people along with you know, like 
genuinely listening to our customers and the feedback we get and finding finding a way to to connect the two but it's hard you know there's so many things we could do with the products so many opportunities and and at this stage it's just the two of us and um we, we have to be smart how we manage our time um so yeah it is a challenge that's for sure one of the things that you have to do when you're such a small team um, and when you try to test something is is to do a lot of dog fooding. So, you know, using the tool to try and test whether the tool does what it, it wants. Did you run lots of sessions of Test Buddy in Test Buddy and how much did it hurt your brain in an inception kind of way? <laughs> oh, man, it, it really is so meta. But yeah, we we, we use Test Buddy to test Test Buddy <laughs> and, it, and it still uh, confuses me every time. Um but it's so yeah so i mean so useful right to and and how fortunate we are that we can use our own product to test our own product um but it is honestly one of the best ways for us to learn and and discover certain risks and that that we need to mitigate for and and you know bugs that we find i mean uh, we're, we're pretty disciplined with our development approach um and there are you know there are problems that get found by by um some of our customers um but we're very fortunate we can get to use test buddy to test test buddy and and yeah it's we're, we're lucky we can get to do that but yeah it does often when i have two different tabs open and a third and a fourth tab open i'm like okay well that's the one under test this is not the yeah. one under test don't, don't uh, click that button it's a screenshot <laughs> yeah, exactly that yeah. yeah it can get confusing but but it, it's been a great way for us to to enhance the product you know there's certain things where like certain constraints we put on ourselves were like, ah, oh, yeah, if we just added, you know, just unlocked a certain thing. Like a recent thing was um, allowing, making it really easy to share a link to your session. So you can just go, just go and check out the session. You don't need a test buddy account. You can just go and have a look at it and you can, you can enable that. And that's just made it so much easier for us to jump on each other's sessions and, and view the session without edit permission but you can view the videos on the session you can zoom into the screenshots you can filter the view it's not you know we also offer a pdf report um but it's a much more interactive version of a pdf report because you're viewing the actual session but not as an editor but just as a viewer um so that that recently came out and that was super helpful Awesome. Well, I'll make sure there's a link to Test Buddy in the show notes. Uh, I'll also put a link to a, a exploratory testing video that I did uh, a while ago, which was exploratory testing a website, but I was using Test Buddy to do it. So it's kind of testing two things at once. It was the website and and Test Buddy. Um, so if you're not familiar with it, um, frankly, Simon has better demo videos on the website. You should probably start there uh, if you're curious of someone's first impressions of it. Um, that's captured for you in, in real time online as well. And we're very grateful for that, Neil. That was an amazing video. So thank you for that. Oh, not, not to worry. I'm, I'm trying to do more of that stuff now. I've got the podcast, Jack, <laughs> trademark. <laughs> There's going to be more stuff coming out of this uh, room uh, in the near future. Um, but right now, the only thing that's going to come out of this room is your fourth song choice. Yes. So this is a song called Asia, and it's by a band called Steely Dan. So this is a, a really interesting exploration track, and I guess it's sort of broken down into three parts. Um, I, you could describe it as like jazz rock or rock, rock, rock jazz. I, I never know which way to, to, to put it. Um, but, you know, if, if I think about where I first heard about this, so I was probably in my early 20s and I was in my local drum store back in my hometown of Bournemouth. And I asked, I asked the, the person running it, I said, look, what drummer would you recommend I listen to? 
And he said, oh, you should definitely listen to Steve Gadd, you know, and particularly the stuff he did with Steely Dan. I was like, okay, cool. Check it out. So soon after that, I'd moved to London and I was listening to this album, Asia. And it's this groundbreaking album. Like it is full of all these incredible session musicians that are just like the best of the best at the time. Um, and this, this song, Asia, it just, again, it just sounds like nothing else that has ever come before or, or nothing else that has ever come after, actually. Um, and again, being a drummer, the, the drum beat is spectacular. It features this drummer, Steve Gadd, that I was recommended. And it's, and it's just a quirky track. There's kind of parts where it's really sublime and, and really chilled out. And then like, you, you kind of hear it and you, you just keep smiling throughout. And the ending of the song, I mean, I won't give too much away if you've not heard this song before, but you get to the end and you're literally like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> um, and it, and it's, it's just an exciting journey. And there's, there's some funny quirky bits in the song where there's, there's a bit of imperfection throughout. So one example is um, the drummer, Steve Gadd, he accidentally hits the rim of the snare drum at four minutes 40. You hear like a little click sound as he hits the stick on the, the edge of the snare. And, and to this day, drummers still try to recreate that when they cover the song. <laughs> like literally, you know, they try and get the four so minute 40 the rim snare hit, which is hilarious. <laughs> and, and it's amazing at the same time. You know, this song has so much clout in, in the, the drummer world. Um, you know, so I'm really glad that I, that I asked that shop owner that question. You know, had I not asked that question, I may have never discovered Steely Dan. I may never discover Asian and may never discover Steve Gadd. So I kind of, that, you know, in respect to exploratory testing, you know, one of the best skills as an exploratory tester is to ask questions. And I'm so glad I did. was Steely Dan with the drumming sounds of Steve Gadd with Asia. Now, here comes the section of the podcast that I've had to hastily rewrite. <laughs> I'm going to start with the, the questions I was going to do anyway, because when we were talking about getting together, uh, you had a, a message on your blog, basically a bold post saying that you wanted to become a community manager uh, by July this year. What drove that change of focus for you from your from your the many other hats you've worn before? Yeah, sure. So yeah, it was quite a, it was just to share it in public to force me to make it happen <laughs> in some way, you know, financially, um, my, my wife and I were like, okay, I need to find something by July, but kind of stepping a little bit further back, thinking about, um, the world of community. And I actually discovered the concept of community and how it can help you quite late in my career, you know, I think I've been working at some really, I was very fortunate to work some brilliant companies and uh, it was all about internal community and getting people together internally and learning from each other. But I just, it was something that just didn't twig that I could go beyond the companies I were working at and, and reach out to a global community, particularly uh, a software testing community. So it kind of annoys me every time I share that in the sense that I kind of kick myself. So, so I wish I'd discovered community 
and the power community much earlier on in my career because of so many benefits. So I'm on a mission really to ensure that folks can find out about community as early on in their career as possible. And, and so kind of, you know, I found myself in my career as a software tester that I needed to kind of tap a little bit deeper into the excitement and joy that I get from community-based activities. So this is sort of stuff that I found I'd naturally enjoyed doing, like things like amplifying people and the things that they're doing, encouraging people, um, kind of encouraging people to perhaps try things that they're not familiar with or they think might not be possible and working with those people to help them do that. Um, I also found I, I, I get excited by designing and curating and collaborating on, on all sorts of sort of content that helps move our testing craft forward. Um, so I thought, well, that feels aligned with a community manager type of role. And I, you know, I asked myself, like, could I, could I find that type of role? You know, could I do it in the tech world? Could I actually do it in the testing world? Um, and does this align with my career ambitions with test buddy? And, and I thought, you know, could I, could I be brave enough to start my career again, so to speak? Um, and yeah, it turns out, well, so far, um, it has been possible to do that. I, I had a, a, you know, a financial goal by the end of July. Um, I had a, a brilliant chat. I was trying my best to reach out with brilliant community managers out in the world and, and Heather Reed is one of those people. Um, she is the community boss at Ministry of Testing. She's amazing. I learned a lot from her. And we had a really good chat. And she happened to mention it to um, to, to Richard Bradshaw, who is boss boss at Ministry of Testing. And Richard and I had some chats, and, and here we are. Um, and I still can't quite believe it, to be honest. <laughs> I have the opportunity to be community boss at Ministry of Testing. But yeah, community is something that is is massively important to me. Um, going back to the secret new job that I've just taken, um, the number one reason we've taken that job was that it is full-time remote working permanently. But the number two thing right behind that is it's a company who is known worldwide for their community. And that's just a, you know, a community that um, supports each other, that helps to build the product that it relates to. Um, when you have that many people who are passionate about your product, it gives you that reason to want to work harder. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's, I mean, there's so many benefits for a, a person as an individual who is part of a community, you know, no matter where they are on their, their career journey, I feel that opportunity to ask questions that, that inspire people to kind of share their knowledge and experience. And also that exchange of knowledge that then can lead to further exchanges of knowledge even beyond just one question it inspires other people to go oh yeah i could ask a question or ah you know what i could i could answer that question and and it's those sort of spiral effects or kind of flywheel effects of of people being open and willing to ask questions which i think takes bravery and and to share information off the back of that and that's just one example thinking in terms of like a forum type of environment but also those who are willing to uh, put together talks, those who are willing to uh, write articles or put together videos. Um, it, you know, it takes time and effort, but through that activity, you know, I've certainly learned from from doing that myself. I learned so much in the process of having to put stuff together. You know, I have to research. I have to reflect on my own experiences. I have to find out about what it means to others. And there's something magical that happens when 
you put yourself out there and and you know even if it inspires one person for me that is like that's awesome and and my role now uh to be able to collaborate with those people to encourage them to be willing to share to be willing to 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 kind of open themselves up a bit uh that's amazing because because you can kind of you can absolutely move a whole craft forward and i absolutely believe we can continue to move our testing craft forward through the power of community yeah this kind of brings it back full circle to what we talked about at the beginning about um encouraging new voices because one of the challenges when you build a community and a, a network of like-minded people and this isn't a challenge that's unique to ministry testing i've seen it at, at other events as well is that as you build these close ties between people and you know you, you you get to know people who you consider to be your friends for example that means that when you do meet face to face you do tend to flock to the people that you already know which can be discouraging to the to the new faces there who sometimes you know if they see four or five people passionately talking they don't feel like they can then encroach upon that they, they feel like that's not a clique but like well, I, i'm not necessarily going to be welcomed there how do you bring the new voices in um without scaring them away <laughs> yeah and and yeah absolutely that is a tough one and, and that, that particular example um at events mm. i feel there's um you know good opportunities to to make it clear in the lead up to an event that um for those people that are maybe kind of the louder voices or the well-known people in that community to, to really encourage themselves to break out of their cliques, so to speak, and, and to go and up to people that maybe by themselves, maybe, you know, that are very new to that type of event and to just start a conversation. I think it's on those experienced people to do that. I think also preparing people who are new to those events thinking about that particular context to say you know what like this community like even if you don't feel it now is welcoming is is well up for meeting new people and is very supportive of new voices and just reminding people that that we've all been there on on our journeys into a community for the first time and it is scary like it really is scary i still you know i still get absolutely overwhelmed whenever i uh, you know, any type of event, whether it's online or in person, like, oh my goodness, uh, new people, I need to make an effort to to speak with new people. Um, I find it overwhelming. And and I think that's, you know, it's a very human thing. Um, uh, but just, yeah, just creating that environment, reminding people that we are all in similar situations. And some people have, may have more confidence than others to go up to people. Um, and, and that, that is that, but, um, Finding finding creative ways for people to engage for the first time, um, it is yeah, is important. Yeah, it's something that I'm very aware of as we hopefully move into a, a post-COVID world. That yeah, <laughs> I tend to sign off most of these podcasts by saying to people, I, I can't wait till like, we finally get to meet again. But next time I'm at an event, it's just as important that I, I spend time talking to, to new voices and, and the ones that I've not uh, met before. So. Um, Yes, I mean I can't wait. Fingers crossed. <laughs> it's like the uh, the end, end of term at school. You're like, is it is it all going to happen again? Fingers crossed. And so yeah, who, who knows? But uh, good times ahead. Hopefully, better than those that have come before. Um, but yes. before we finish off today, you've got one final song choice, and um, it's an '80s classic. This is an '80s classic, and it is Rosanna by the band Toto. So you know. I guess like who doesn't love a song about lost love now th this is no ordinary love song I mean uh, oh my goodness again 
you know, on the theme of session musicians from earlier on, on, on the Steely Dan track, I mean, Toto are the gods of session musicians. Like the, these were the, the folks who, um, were doing session work and then they decided to form a band and, <laughs> you know, I guess session musicians, these are people who guest on an album and aren't, you know, part of the band, you know, I, in my, my opinion, are kind of the unsung heroes of so many classic albums out there, much like us testers can sometimes be unsung heroes. And, and the song Rosanna by Toto, like, again, I, I have a bias with the beat. The the drumming is just incredible by Jeff Bacoro. Um, it's got like, it combines a certain style of drumming called the Bernard Purdy shuffle and the groove from uh, John Bonham, a drummer from Led Zeppelin on a song called Fool in the Rain. And Jeff Bacuro, he he said, right, I'm going to try putting those two beats together. And that's what I love about it. He was brave and bold enough to sort of push himself to try a new technique and create something completely new that no one had ever done before. And and so the, the drum beat is just utterly unique. Um, and again, you know, this song reminds me of my childhood. My dad had the album Toto 4 on cassette tape. I used to play it all the time. It was so worn down that the whole album sounded warped, but it was just great. I just listened to it so much as a kid. And again, those, those synths appear again. Love a good synth. Um, it has the cheesiest synth solo ever. It's so bad. It's so good. Uh, but the groove, the drum beat, Jeff Pecoro, wow. And then there's like a real surprise moment. Again, another song with a surprise in it. There's the, you know, this incredible guitar solo by by Steve Lukather. Um at the end and you're like wow where did that come from so again it's a song that has surprises in it sorry for giving those surprises away if you haven't <laughs> heard it but i'll take a punt that this is a popular track um and but but steve look at her like this guy he's played on over 1500 albums you know there's this guitarist is just so well trained and so well established and he's just disciplined and and focused on his craft and i have so much respect for that um and, and, you know, this song, Rosanna, it's just another song. It just keeps on giving every time I hear it. All I want to do when I wake up in the morning see you Rosanna, Rosanna Never thought that a girl like you could ever care for me playing us out there that's toto with rosanna bringing to an end uh, an action-packed episode with a lot of stuff squeezed in um we mentioned the benefit of time boxing um one of the things i've learned from my time box assignment is ask your guests how long they want to talk about their songs <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry about that i kind of get a bit carried away um yeah that's <laughs> exactly what you're here for but we, we want people who have passions and uh, they've come across very strongly today uh, all of those songs are available on our spotify playlist which is linked in the episode description uh, the description will also contain links to the sign up form if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode we're hotly approaching episode 50 um, we're back next month with beth marshall in the meantime simon if people would like to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that yeah, so please, uh, yeah, encourage people to get in touch. Um, you can get me on Twitter, Simon underscore Tomes, or you can catch me on the miniature testing Slack. So just, yeah, please do send me a DM. Um, yeah, I'd love to chat. Love to learn from you. 
yeah and there are so many different forms that people could do that um simon is someone who could be found if you want to find him certainly <laughs> um, i'm coming out of my twitter hibernation a bit so you can find me at neil stud uh, or the podcast at testers island thank you simon thank you so much for being a guest in this podcast well thank you neil this has been an incredible experience like what what an honor to be part of this podcast uh, it's a very cool podcast so thank you so much It's my absolute pleasure and uh, we'll speak to you all next month. Testers Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.